Our Old Testament text is taken from Genesis chapter 28, verses 10 through 22, and then we will read from the New Testament in John chapter 1, uh, verses 43 through 51. Genesis 28, verse 10 through 22. Jacob left Beersheba and went toward Haran, and he came to a certain place and stayed there that night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones of the place, he put it under his head and lay down in that place to sleep. And he dreamed, and behold, there was a ladder set up on the earth, and the top of it reached to heaven. And behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie, I will give to you and to your offspring. Your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth, and you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And in you and your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land. For I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. And he was afraid and said, How awesome is this place. This is none other than the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. So early in the morning, Jacob took the stone that he had put under his head and set it up for a pillar and poured oil on the top of it. He called the name of that place Bethel, but the name of the city was Luz at the first. Then Jacob made a vow, saying, If God will be with me and will keep me in this way that I go and will give me bread to eat and clothing to wear so that I come again to my father's house in peace, then the Lord shall be my God. And this stone, which I have set up for a pillar, shall be God's house. And of all that you give me, I will give a full tenth to you. Our New Testament reading in John chapter 1, verse 43. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip, Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, Come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? Jesus answered him, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Jesus answered him, Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. 
a consequence of becoming a theater major in college is having developed a love of a good film. I'm particularly appreciative as one who was an acting practicum emphasis of a performer that can build extraordinary narrative tension in telling a story. One such scene I remember from The Fugitive in 1993. Tommy Lee Jones, FBI character, barks out some instructions shortly after Harrison Ford's character's escape from custody. Listen up, ladies and gentlemen. Our fugitive has been on the run for 90 minutes. Average foot speed over uneven ground, barring injuries is four miles an hour, and that gives us a radius of six miles. What I want out of each and every one of you is a hard target search of every gas station, residence, warehouse, farmhouse, henhouse, outhouse, and doghouse in that area. Checkpoints go up at 15 miles. Your fugitive's name is Dr. Richard Kimball. Go get him. Our fugitive's name is Jacob. In our ongoing study of the book of beginnings, Genesis, in chapter 28, he is on the run. He has hit the road. Pleas of his mother and the direction of his father have prompted him to leave home. He's now a pilgrim twice over. He flees the wrath of Esau, his brother, and he seeks a wife from the land of his ancestors in Haran. In our text for today, he sets out on his journey what would have taken him the better part of a month to travel hundreds of miles to the very place that God had originally called his grandfather Abraham back in the day, Genesis 12. Can you imagine what might have happened to Jacob in such a month-long walk that he would have entertained? Many things, no doubt, but the writer gives us only one occurrence. Before, in chapter 29, Jacob arrives at Uncle Laman's house. It is arguably the most famous of the Jacob stories, the dream of the latter or the stairway between earth and heaven. Please don't miss the long arc of the book. Covenant jeopardy, as I called it last week, continues. 
Jacob is leaving the promised land. He's departing hundreds of miles. Esau remains. Has he actually won? What is to happen to blessings promise of the land for Abraham, Isaac, and now Jacob? Furthermore, Jacob has botched things terribly. He has swindled the blessing by deception. He has dishonored his father, betraying him with a kiss, and blasphemed God to boot. And this is blessings bearer number three, the heir apparent. His father has prayed blessing over him in chapter 28, 1 to 5. What will God do? He will show up. He will intervene. He will ensure the ongoing continuity of blessings redemptive plan, no matter what the obstacle, including the deep, deep flaws of Jacob. And this now what will become 20-year journey. Furthermore, we'll look at this in detail next week, God will give to Jacob a promise, a necessary gift promise for his need of the 20-year-long hour and beyond. Let me sum up the thrust of the passage with this main idea. This will serve us today and next week. God's blessing of his people is guaranteed wherever they go. And I want you to see three aspects of this comforting thought in Genesis 28. It is blessing in hard places, blessing with grace gifts, and blessing for heart responses. Have to take this in two parts. The last time I'll get away with it with only eight messages left before August, where we'll move to a more survey approach to finish the book. But this warrants some in-depth study. First, blessing in hard places. God's blessing of his people is guaranteed wherever they go, especially in their hard places along their journey. Look at verse 11. Notice the emphasis on place. And he came to a certain place and stayed there that night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones of the place, he put it under his head and lay down in that place to sleep. Alan Ross, a commentator on Genesis, notes the significance of what seems otherwise an inauspicious spot 
on the road where he writes, a place became a shrine that fell. A stone became an altar. And the fugitive became a pilgrim. God in his grace revealed himself to Jacob in that place. Indeed he did. But please do not let this be lost on you. It's a hard place. A dark place. Jacob has left the comfort and safety of home. A tent dwelling smooth skin, mama's favorite, is solitary on the road. He will never see Rebecca again. Dart has fallen. He is exposed to the elements and the dangers of the wilderness, and I can't imagine but that he's wondering, is Esau pursuing me with Tommy Lee Jones-like vengeance. And who knows, but might there well be fear, guilt, and shame in him about his actions and now the lot of his life. We are talking about the convergence of so many things that make this a hard place for Jacob. And he's, get this, he's not expecting God to show up. In fact, when he awakens from his dream in verse 16, the first words out of his mouth were, surely God is in this place and I didn't know it. Can you relate? I I certainly can. When have you been in such a position? Might you even be in such a place even now? Something going on that's hard, even dark, where you wonder, will God show up? Is he even here? Has he forgotten, forsaken, abandoned you? You may not know it. You may not feel it. You may not believe it. But God is in that place especially that place. Too often, we're like Moses and Joshua. We don't know we're standing on holy ground and we should take off our shoes. Too often, our story is Job 9-11. Behold, Job says, he passes by me and I see him not. He moves on, but I do not perceive him. Too often we act like Elisha's servant in the midst of a massive battle, 2 Kings 6, 15 to 17. When the servant of the man of God rose early in the morning and went out, behold, an army with horses and chariots was all around the city. And the servant said, Alas, my master, what shall we do? He said, do not be afraid, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. So the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw, 
And behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. Now, I can't improve on that cross-reference as a transition to point number two. This main idea that there is an assurance of God's blessing for his people, that he will be with them wherever they go, especially in the hard places. Second, blessing with grace gifts. Blessing with grace gifts. Derek Kidner, another commentator on Genesis, is right when he calls this, and I quote, a supreme display of divine grace, unsought and unstinted. God came out to meet him, angelic retinue and all. Jacob's not looking for God. He's looking for a wife. But before he ever finds Rachel, God comes and finds him. And he's out cold, propped up on a stone pillow on a desert road. The schemer, the grabber, the conniver, the manipulator, the blessing robber has nothing to do at all with what transpires here. All is grace. God comes in just such a place, an undeserving place for the likes of Jacob. And Jacob has his first theophany, appearance of God, and the first dream dialogue in the Bible, what would become a sometime occurrence of how he reveals himself early on in redemptive history. And the grace gifts abound not deserved. I see four. We'll look at two today, two next week. Perspective, protection, promises, and presence. Perspective, protection, promises, and presence. In his dream, Jacob sees a ladder. Now the ESV offers an alternative, a flight of steps, a stairway. It's set up upon the earth and reaches to the heavens. In the dream, Jacob sees angels ascending and descending on the ladder and God himself, the Lord, standing above the ladder. Earth and heaven touch in this difficult, dark place. Kidner again puts it this way. God and all heaven are intent on this occasion this hard place and this solitary man had the invisible realm's undivided attention. Your hard place is a God place. That's a gift perspective. You may not know it, but your hard place is 
a God place, a necessary viewpoint. Paul got this in 2 Corinthians 1, 8 to 10. For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the afflictions we experienced in Asia, for we so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death but that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us. On him we have set our hope that he will deliver us again. Perspective is a gift in a hard place, a grace gift. God and the invisible realm are fixed on that place. Two, protection. Perspective, protection. What else are we to make of the stunning presence of those Hebrews 1.14 calls ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation? Those Zechariah 1.10 refers to as patrolling the earth. Those of whom Jesus spoke in terms like this in Matthew 18, see that you do not despise one of these little ones, for I tell you that in heaven their angels always see the face of my Father who is in heaven. The Puritan Matthew Henry had a marvelous explanation of this reality. Angels are employed as ministering spirits to serve all the purposes and designs of providence. And the wisdom of God is at the upper end of the ladder, directing all the motions of second causes to the glory of the first cause. The angels are active spirits continually ascending and descending. They rest not day or night from service according to the post assigned them. They ascend to give account of what they have done to receive orders and then descend to execute the orders they have received. Billy Graham wrote a book called Angels, 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 God's Secret Agents. In it, he recounts the story of missionary John G. Patton, missionary to the New Hebrides Islands off the coast of Australia. Here is Patton's image. In his biography, there is a story of him and his wife holed up in the missionary compound alone, encircled by native tribesmen planning to attack, burn down the compound, and kill Patton and his wife. They spent the entire night in prayer, seeking God for deliverance. At daybreak, they looked out the window and saw, unaccountably so, the entire tribe of native hostiles had left. And they, of course, immediately thanked and praised God for his 
delivering miraculous power. <laughs> a year later, the tribal chieftain came to know Christ. And Pat, in remembering what had happened on that fateful night, asked the tribal chieftain, why did you leave? To which the man said, who were all of those men with you? And Patton replied, what men? My wife and I were the only ones in the house. He said, we saw a huge number of big men in shining garments with swords drawn. We assumed they were there to protect you. We should not attack. It dawned upon Patton that God must have answered his prayer the visible manifestation of the invisible realm. The tribal chieftain having authority and agreed with the same. Dr. Graham writes in the book, could it be that God had sent a legion of angels to protect his servants whose lives were being endangered? Protection. Perspective protection. Now to finish this message, I want to take us away from the story here for a moment to the New Testament account that Winston read about Jacob's ladder as referred to by Jesus in John 1, 43 through 51. Let me invite you to turn there in your Bibles I know we've had it read once. Here's an occasion I think it's worth reading again. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said of him, behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. Now, Ed Clowney posits that maybe Jesus already had in his mind when he said of Nathanael, in whom there is no deceit, Jacob, and this account. I don't know. I never thought of that. Very intriguing question. Who knows? However, we have no doubt in our minds that Jesus had at some point Jacob and the latter dream in Genesis 28 when we find where Jesus lands in this funny messianic claim. Let me pick up the text again. Jesus answered him, before Philip called you, when Nathaniel asked him, verse 48, how do you know me? Jesus answered him, before Philip called you when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Pulling back his limbs, of his deity, power. Nathaniel answered him, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. 
Jesus answered him, Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe you will see greater things than these? And he said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, literally, Amen, Amen, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. That is undeniably Jesus bringing out of Genesis 28 a reference to Jacob's ladder. But I ask you, what's missing in Jesus' citation in John 151 from the Jacob ladder story in Genesis 28? What's missing? The ladder. Why? What's Jesus saying? I'm the ladder. This is about me. Jacob's ladder is a shadow of what is to come and what I am to accomplish. You see, because Jesus mediates all things invisible from the angelic realm in its impact upon us as his people. He is the axis between heaven and earth. God's blessings from above to us below in every form. Jesus is self-identifying and proclaiming they are mediated through me and me alone. And so he will declare in John 14, 6, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Paul puts it this way in 1 Timothy 2, 5 and 6. For there is one God and there is one mediator between God and men, the man in Christ Jesus who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. Paul once more says this about Jesus in Colossians 1, 19 to 20. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Robert Coleman has written a book called Written in Blood. He tells the story of a young boy whose sister was gravely ill and needed a blood transfusion. It seemed that the only way for her to be cured was to have a transfusion from someone who himself had been cured of that disease. And it just so happened that two years prior to this, her brother had indeed been cured. And inasmuch as that they both shared the same rare blood type, he made an ideal donor for her. So the doctor asked the boy to be willing to give your blood for your sister. And he hesitated. And his lip began to tremble, but then he smiled and said, yes, for my sister I will. As the story is told, before long they were both wheeled into the operating room and the Transition for the transfusion was set into place. They 
smiled at one another, but then the nurse came and inserted the IV in the boy's arm and his smile disappeared. And he watched as the blood flowed from his arm into his sister. And was in, when the, watched in silence when the ordeal was nearly finished, he said to the doctor, when do I die? And the doctor immediately realized why he had hesitated and why his lip had quivered because he thought he had to give all of his blood and pay his life for his sister's welfare. He made a champion's decision for his sister. But he did not have to give his life, just some of his blood. You and I have a disease far greater than that little boy had and was shared from and that little girl had and was shared from. And Jesus had not just to give his blood, but to shed it and give his life that we should be forgiven of our sins. This is the good news of Jacob's ladder in Genesis 28. Jesus Christ is the ladder of John 3:16. For God so loved the world that he gave. His only son that should ever believe in him should not perish, but have eternal life. God sent Jesus to shed his blood and die on the cross for lying, cheating, deceiving, first like me and you, that we might be forgiven, reconciled with him, and at peace. Have you come to the place where you're looking upon the place that is Calvary, the hill upon which Jesus died, and even though at one point you didn't know it, now you say, surely God is in that place. And that's an awesome place. Jesus is the axis between heaven and earth. And the only hope for you and for me to have peace with God. He alone is the way back from our sin which alienates us from God who is holy. So repent. Believe on him. If you want to know more, I would love to meet you after the service and share a gift with you that will help you learn more about that. God's blessing of his people is guaranteed wherever they go. A blessing in hard places and with grace gifts. We've looked at two so far. Perspective. We have heaven's attention in our hard places. Protection. Ministering spirits sent out on behalf of those who are to inherit salvation. We'll look at the next two promises and presence, along with the last point, blessing for heart responses next week, Lord willing. The Puritan John Owen once asked, did you never run for shelter in the storm and find fruit which you expected not? Did you never go to God for safeguard driven by outward storms and there find unexpected fruit. Jacob found that on the run in Genesis 28. 
we can and will too. Father, we thank you for the promises of your word that you are with us even to the end of the age. Thank you for working in our hearts to see the cross as your place, an awesome place. Help us to fix our eyes continually on Jesus and hope in you as the one who moves heaven and earth and sends angels descending and ascending on our behalf, especially in our hard places. In Jesus' name, amen.